If you've ever shopped online, likely you've followed a series of distinct steps, whether you realized it or not. So we start off at the very beginning. We start with that general inquiry. We're searching for something that we're looking for. And so we usually put that in the search box. We hit search and we look for what pops up. And then eventually we start to look at the results. We look for what is going to fill our need the best. Maybe what color catches our eye. All of the different things that can really contribute to whether we want that thing or not. Then we start to parse out the price. We start to look and see if we think that price is fair or if we can get a better deal elsewhere. Then finally, we start to hone down on what we want. We start to click on the individual product pages. And we look at the description. We look at the specifications, all of those different things. But then I dare say most of us likely have one more step to go through. We look at the product reviews. We start to wonder what is others' experience of this thing? Did they like it? Did they not like it? Was the product description accurate? Or was there something slightly off? How long is this thing going to last? And so we start to look for that sort of expertise, that experience. We want to know more, not just about this product, but about people interacting with it each and every day. And reviews are actually fairly ubiquitous because they aren't just about products or things. Oftentimes they're about services, they're about individuals, different things that we need in our lives. But what about faith? What happens whenever it comes to that moment of faith, our religion, the things that we believe? Do we give a positive review whenever the world sees the way we interact with our faith? Or do they see something else? That's the question that we can consider as we read the readings in the Gospel this morning. We start off this morning with the Acts of the Apostles. We've been continuing with this book ever since the beginning of Easter. And yet notice, there's been this theme all along, that even in that early church, there's this tremendous amount of success that's being met to the apostles. That they're all of a sudden receiving all of these people into the church. It's truly an incredible sight to behold. And so in particular, we hone in on the experience of Philip this week, how he went down to Samaria, and then he starts to speak, and he preaches Christ to them. But what's more, we're told that the crowds listen with one accord, not just because of what he's saying, but what he's doing. That he's driving out demons, that he's freeing those that are possessed by evil spirits, and he's starting to cure those that are crippled, or even those that are paralyzed that they see what's happening and they're just intrigued. What's more, they're captivated. And indeed, we're told that this is such a powerful moment that all of those crowds acting with one accord, the entire city is filled with joy. That they see what Philip's doing and they're just filled with the happiness and that gratitude. And then the church responds because we are told that word reaches Jerusalem, that all of Samaria is responding favorably to the faith. And so they send Peter and John to lay hands upon them to give them that early sacrament of confirmation. Because they've been baptized, they've accepted the faith, it's time for them to receive the Holy Spirit and to hand it on themselves. But it's rather odd to read that reading. Because it looks like he's succeeding in every single way that there is no dissension whatsoever from the gospel at this time. How in the world is that happening? Is it even possible to this day? We might come back to that in just a moment. We continue on and we hear St. Peter and his first letter again, continuing on the same trajectory we've been on for the last few weeks. And this is honing in on that same idea that we had last week. 
to continue to seek after Christ Jesus crucified, to seek after his example, to see the ways that he was long-suffering, but the ways that he bore it anyway, the righteous for the sake of the unrighteous, and even dying in the flesh so as to live in the Spirit. But notice, Peter wants to highlight something important in this witness, because he doesn't want them to just go about and suffer well, but he also wants them to do something else, to evangelize to preach the gospel, to go forward and to offer an explanation for their faith to anyone who asks of it. Because he's aware that they're going around, they're developing their faith, that they are continually sanctifying themselves and placing Christ Jesus as Lord in their hearts. That's a work that is ongoing for them. But he still wants them to have that reason available, that reason for that gift of hope that they have, but that gift of faith. And they're to offer that with gentleness and with reverence. And indeed, it's an important reminder for them because he wants them to be able to go forward, to speak words of truth, to give light to the darkness, to speak those words of faith, even to those that might lie far away from that gift of faith at this time. But nonetheless, he wants them to be aware of that commission that they're receiving, that even as they're going about their own work of spiritual renewal, even as they're continuing that work of Christ crucified, they still need to be forward, willing to go forward as evangelizers and evangelists. And then finally, we reach the gospel according to John. And this is a particular moment in Jesus' ministry. He's preparing the disciples and the apostles for a moment that is coming when he is going to be lifted up from the earth and taken away from their sight. And he doesn't want them to be caught unaware, but he wants them to be reassured of this moment that, in fact, they won't be left alone, but Pentecost is coming, that the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, is going to be given to them in abundance. But notice, he's trying to teach them in the midst of this moment as well. Because he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's a statement that might seem rather odd on his face. Because we hear words of commandment, and we think about the ways that we have to do these things or else. We think about how harsh this reality is, that we shouldn't break the Ten Commandments because God said so. How in the world is that a sign of God's love? Well, in fact, the Lord gives us the answer. Because whenever Jesus speaks to us later, he speaks words of reality to us and to the disciples. I will not leave you orphans. I will be with you. Then, in fact, he wants to show that there's something important about our relationship with God. We didn't start it. In fact, God has approached us first. That he is the one that gave us the gift of faith. He's the one that approached us first. He doesn't want us to be orphans any longer, but he wants us to be adopted children. That he wants to see how intimately he loves us. He wants that to be visible, even to a world that largely can't see it. But he wants that to be visible to us who have faith. So he says those beautiful and powerful words, I will not leave you orphans. He wants to remind us of his gift of love. Because the commandments and our response to the commandments are ultimately a response to our Lord. That in fact, we see the ways that he powerfully first loved us, and then we reciprocate, and we love him back. And even in his commandments, those things that are actually offered to us in love because he wants to see us fully happy and fully alive, then we respond in love and we keep those commandments as well. But these things aren't just for us. Because let's go back for a moment. 
Let's look back at that first reading. I asked that question, how in the world is Philip experiencing all of the success? How in the world is the entire crowd that day convinced by what he's saying, so much so that they're baptized and they petition for confirmation, that they want that gift of the Holy Spirit? Is it even possible to our day? While I can't answer all of those questions, I can tell you this that the very same success that Philip experienced that day is possible and is even inevitable in our time. That in fact, we can convert peoples, that we too should be evangelists, those people that are going forward and speaking and preaching the truth of the gospel, much in the same way that Philip was. But the question is, how do we do that? And that's really where our work lies. Because the first way that we should be aware that we are called to be evangelists is to first be evangelized ourselves. To see the ways that the Lord our God is offering us the gift of faith. That he called us into that relationship of love with him. That he has adopted us into that relationship and he calls us to love him back. And in fact, whenever Jesus is speaking to the disciples, he wants to remind them of that fact. They're never alone, that they've never been left without the Lord their God. They're never left to their own devices. But in fact, even in the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's always there and he's always with them. But it's the same with us. But do we hear that? Do we receive that with open hearts or minds or are we simply cold and closed to it? Do we want to be evangelized ourselves by this gospel message? Because so often, my brothers and sisters, we become cold-hearted. We become close to what the Lord is doing. Maybe it's the circumstances in life. Maybe it's the situations. Maybe we just don't feel the Lord's presence right now. But nonetheless, that line that is important for us to hear, I will not leave you orphans. The Lord is with you. He's with me. He's with each and every one of us, no matter where our walk of life is going right now. But we should be evangelized in this moment. Not tomorrow, not just when the Lord gets to it, or not whenever it feels good. But the Lord is evangelizing us, and he's calling us to conversion. He's calling us to that love each and every moment of our lives. But then that's something that reflects outward. Because, in fact, whenever it comes to us evangelizing others, there's three different ways that the Lord is calling us through all of these readings to evangelize those that we encounter and those that we meet. The first is one that may not seem very obvious on this face, and yet it's altogether important. It's by our example. Because notice, at the very beginning of the first reading, the, all of those crowds are watching Philip. They hear the words he's speaking, the word he's preaching. They're watching what he's doing, but they're also watching his example. Is this man living out his faith? Does this man believe? Is his life changed by the radical way of the gospel? And in fact, that's important for us to realize, because we can't just take the gospel and live life as if we've never heard it before. But in fact, if we truly believe in the Lord our God, and if we believe in the gospels and all of the truths that are contained in them, then it's going to change us to our core. Even our example in this daily life is going to change because we are so impacted by the gospel. And in fact, that's the first way that we evangelize. That if we go out, if we drive differently, if we work differently, if we go to school differently, if we show the gospel in every single thing that we do, no matter how mundane or how unimportant we think it is, then we're evangelizing, even in our example, even in the ways that we might not expect. But then there's the ways that we do expect. Because the second way that we can evangelize is through knowing our faith. 
Because, my brothers and sisters, when Philip went to Samaria that day, he was not unprepared. He didn't go in blind to all the truths of faith, but he, in fact, had been immersed in them for years. He had gone through, he had learned what the Lord had taught, and he was immersed in them at all times. And indeed, that's important for each and every one of us. Because we're not called to go forward and to just simply speak, Jesus loves you, and move on. But we're called to have examples of our faith. We're called to have the truths and the testimony of all of the different things that the church teaches. What's more important? You should know why. Because we need to know the fundamental basics at the very least of our faith. That we should be committing ourselves to continually learning about our faith, investing and growing in that faith, much like St. Peter was speaking to those that were reading his letter that day. That he wants them to continually sanctify their hearts with Christ as Lord. And we should be doing the same. We should learn the truths of the catechism, even the bare necessities, even if we don't know it word for word. We should know what the church teaches. We should know about the sacraments. We should know why the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. We need to learn these things, not just for ourselves, but what happens when someone asks. Hopefully we have a reason for our hope. Hopefully we have an explanation. And that's why we should study on our faith as well. But then the final point, and the final point of evangelization for us to consider this morning, it's one that might be altogether more difficult to accomplish. Do you give witness to Christ by your own experience? Are you willing to speak with others about how the Lord Jesus Christ has impacted your life? Or are you in doubt that he has impacted your life at all? Are you wondering? Because, in fact, that's one of the most powerful ways we can evangelize, by showing and telling others just how much our life has been changed by the Lord our God, how knowing Him, loving Him, and serving Him has, in fact, influenced our everyday life, how it's changed it for the better. Because, my brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it, the land out there is fertile. People are searching. They may not be searching for Jesus Christ in answer, in, in word, or even in name. And they might have written him off completely because they've seen a lot of hypocrisy in our day and age. But that doesn't matter. Because, in fact, if you're willing to be vulnerable and say how the Lord our God has impacted your faith, even if it's not perfect yet, then that's something that's altogether more powerful. Because you can tell others about how the Lord has called you, how he's impacted your life, how there have been different things that are going on, how even in the moments of doubt, your faith has come through, or at least you're searching for it in those times. Because faith does change things. And not just in this abstract, ethereal way. It changes things for you, and it changes things for me. Why can't we speak about that more? Why can't we tell others about the way that we have individually been impacted by the Lord our God? Because I dare say, my brothers and sisters, that's going to be one of the most powerful testimonies you can offer, that gift of faith to one another, and how that gift of faith has impacted, it's influenced, and it's changed your life in so many ways. Because so all too often, we feel like we don't have anything to offer. We feel like that work of evangelization might be for someone else more profound than we. But in fact, there's so many different people that you encounter, whether at work, whether at school, at home, or just abroad. There's so many different people that you are going to come across, and they need to hear those words of the gospel. Who better to speak it than you and I and whoever we meet? Because Philip that day, he experienced a tremendous amount of success. That we saw all of the ways that the people responded favorably to him. 
but I dare say that he just did some of the basics that are still here for us today. That he was able to speak by his example. He was able to speak about his faith in a coherent and very precise way. But ultimately, he was able to speak about his experience of Jesus Christ and the ways that he changed his life and changed it for the better. Because the reality is, my brothers and sisters, each and every day we're offered the ability to give a review and a testament to our faith. That we're given that ability to speak to others about that faith and how it's changed our life, even if it's not perfect yet. But nonetheless, it's important, it's vital, it's essential. And if we want to see that same success and that same awesome endeavor that Philip was going into Samaria that day, then I dare say we should be bold in our application and our work of evangelization. My brothers and sisters, Philip went forward and an entire, an entire town was changed that day. Perhaps if we're faithful, if we do that work of evangelization ourselves, we can not only change the town of Samaria, but perhaps we can change the entire world.